The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Retroactive Sports Podcast. I'm Andrew, and joining me always is Johnny. That's right, I'm Andrew, he's Johnny. That's right, I got that correct. No, you did it. Yes, I'm Andrew, you're Johnny, right? Maybe we're Andrew, wait, what would it be if we fused, like Dragon Ball Z style? Oh man, like a... <laughs> <laughs> Like a J-Lo and, and Ben situation. Yeah. <laughs> ben I mean, Lowe, That's what I would have called that. <laughs> ben Lowe. <laughs> By the way, still a super attractive lady to this day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, mm, John Drew. I like John Drew. Let's John just, Drew's the best it, one. It, it just sounds way better. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. So welcome to the John Drew show. Uh, we're very happy to have y'all thanks for listening and we're kind of doing sort of a follow-up really episode to what we did last time on this show yes and but this time we're going to change it up a bit we're going to do our 10 favorite athletes before our time so in other words i looked at this as uh, when i was old enough to get into stuff they weren't they were either on the very downside of their career or they'd already been done playing for a long time. One or the other. Yep. And it's my list too. Top 10. Because we both appreciate history. And sports history. Which yeah. is which this whole podcast is centered around. So we give you our top 10 favorite players. So why not give you our top 10. You know just players before our time. Guys that. Pretty much probably got us maybe interested in certain aspects. Game changers, guys that were like, wow. Yeah, or in so, or sometimes we're just guys who just really, when I went back and learned more about them, I was just really like uh, respected them hugely for a lot of stuff they did, even if I wasn't necessarily a lot for it. Uh, All right. I started you know, off. You go first because I started off the last. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to start off with a biggie. Probably the notorious BID, Christopher Wallace. Yes, of course. <laughs> did, you, did you look at my list? <laughs> no, I. This is a huge name, probably the biggest name in his sport ever, I would dare say. And this guy, not only a legend, but also even outside of his sport, he transcended it. And was even like, uh, even f- was known for standing up for what he believed in, even if it got him in trouble, which it did. <clears throat> this guy freaking literally fought Superman, Andrew. This guy fought Superman. And I'm talking, of course, of Muhammad Ali. He did fight Superman. He literally fought Superman. One of the great, in my opinion, one of the greatest underrated comic book covers of all time. <laughs> it's really cool. It's literally. Muhammad Ali and Superman about to have a boxing match. Because he fought. Muhammad Ali fought a lot of people. Like, I think he fought Lyle Alzado, who is a football player. And didn't he fight Anoki at one point? Antonio Anoki? And yeah, of course. I totally heard you say that last name. Of course, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he fought it in Noki. Yeah, I'm really good at this podcasting thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, Very good. it is. Muhammad Ali versus Antonio Noki. My father told me about this, but I don't think he really understood who Antonio Noki was, and he just called him a kickboxer. Yeah. Which kind of disappointed me. Come on. You got to know who Antonio is. All right. So my number 10 is Chuck Foreman running back for the Minnesota Vikings. And this guy is probably, he's a little bit of one of the first dual threat running backs. I actually follow him on Facebook because Ooh. he is a, he is a cool, cool guy. Uh, I definitely should try and reach out to him to probably get on the show. Uh, nicknamed the spin doctor too. And he's not talking about two princes coming before you, but I found out about Mr. Foreman, Chuck Foreman over watching NFL films, huge NFL films fan. And I would watch him, and the way that he would run and he would play. And then there was an interesting story about him where he was about to get either. I think the triple crown for rushing or, be the league's touchdown champion and he only needed a couple more touchdowns and he was playing in Buffalo and those rowdy rowdy Bills fans got a little bit too rowdy and threw started throwing snowballs at him and oh I think I remember this yeah, yeah. one hit him right in the eye and yep. kind of blurred his vision and temporarily blind him and he did not achieve it and it was one of those things where you you see him and you're like if I ever if I ever met him, what would, would I ask him about it? And it's kind of a touch and go subject there. And then all of a sudden he posted on Facebook and he was like, Hey, if anybody ever interviews me, you can ask me about that. I've put it in my past. And I'm like, Oh, that's that's pretty that's that's pretty cool. That's a good guy right there. So Chuck Foreman at my number ten spot. I like it. I like it. I definitely I mean, this is a behind the scenes. I'm not much of a football guy. But I definitely remember that uh, seeing a documentary or something where somebody talked about a football player getting blinded by snowballs, basically. Mm-hmm. A pretty wild story. Uh, I, my number nine is an Olympian. Literally won gold medals in swimming. But the reason that he's on my list is because growing up, I was introduced to his movies because my mom grew up watching his movies. Uh, that, of course, is Johnny Weissmuller, who was an Olympic swimmer and most famously known for those early, I'm talking 30s and 40s, Tarzan movies. He was Tarzan. Oh, okay. Yeah. And my mom love, loves, to this day, those movies. So I kind of grew up with those around. And so I had I had to have and plus a great first name, you know, Johnny. It's a perfect first name. You should know Johnny. I mean you're Johnny and I'm Andrew. A lot of a, a lot of Tarzan movies. And then when he was done with Tarzan, he did Jungle Jim. That's right, yeah. It really it really <laughs> uh showed his acting uh range. <laughs> Not too much range there. But he was, I mean, he was an insane swimmer, too, by the way. He was like uh, Phelps before Phelps, really. 
when you were talking about somebody that changed the game, I thought you were talking about Rodney Dangerfield in the Triple Windy or Thornton no. Mullen. Oh yeah, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of gold. Told you, yeah. Looks like that 2014 brought them down because they only got a bronze in the team events. My next guy is another guy that changed the game, and he changed the game of hockey. And that is Bobby Orr. Probably has the one of the most iconic pitchers of all time up there with Muhammad Ali where he's diving across the ice. But Bobby Orr took defense and made it offense. He said, you know what? I don't want to sit back there and play defense. I want to score goals. And Bobby Bobby Orr scored a lot of goals. Not the longest career in the world, cut short due to knee problems and everything else. But it's a guy that the impact of his play and the way that he changed the game is everlasting today. Uh, probably he's considered in the hockey holy trinity of Gretzky, Howe, and then Orr because of just what he did for the game. He said, defensemen can score. <laughs> to this day, we are still seeing defense. You hear the term offensive defenseman because of what you know Bobby Orr did and what he could do. And every time I hear Bobby Orr's name, like I'm waiting for the other choice. Bobby Orr, who? Give me. <laughs> or uh, Phil Esposito. Yeah, yeah. That's a name I would have totally brought up to. Uh, my number eight, Andrew, this is going to shock everybody. We're going to the world of basketball. And this guy, I still remember my jaw dropping the first time I saw a clip of this guy like he was somehow in the air this whole time he jumped to do a layup but he somehow wrapped himself around behind the backboard and still flipped the ball up and in like to this day it's still one of the greatest most smoothest things i've ever seen and that's just not that's not even talking about the fact that he yes the slam dunk was already a thing but i dare say that dr j took the slam dunk and turned it into an art form and one of the biggest influences is on the goat, also by the way, uh, and a lot of these players that we grew, that me and you consider the goats, and Julius Irving had to be on my list. Uh, I mean, he popular he took the slam dunk and literally just made it like something you'd have to see. Literally, he's the reason the ABA lasted as long as it did. Is Julius Irving? He's the doctor. The doctor is in. As I say, uh, got asked that question at work. I mean, uh, the young basketball fan, we went over who would be the greatest 76er of all time. And I flat out just said the doctor. I put him over Wilt. I did it. I'm sorry. I, man, you could, there's a damn good argument for him. I mean, Wilt was there. I think Wilt did win a championship with him. But after the doctor left what was really the 76ers i mean you had barkley but after that it was they're not they're not going up against the celtics like they used to it was definitely the end of an era for sure yeah but gotta love the doctor i still remember my first introduction to dr j as a kid was the pay-per-view and i tried to find it so i could like 
I don't know if you've ever seen it. I tried to find it like on YouTube to send it to you, but it's like super blurry. It was the big hyped up match of who would win, Dr. J or Kareem. Oh, it was like a one-on-one thing? Yeah. but I remember that, yes. But they also had a bunch of other basketball players, too. Yeah, yeah, they used to be, for those who don't know, the NBA All-Star game, they would try different things. No, this was pay-per-view. Oh, oh. I I did it on the All-Star game one time, too. Yeah, no, this was pay per view. The one on one on a pay per view. That's one on one. But they also had other players. Like this was my first introduction to Rick Barry and laughing at the grandma shop. Oh man, yeah, yeah. It was Magic versus or not Magic, Doctor J versus Kareem. I thought he was gonna do like that video game Magic versus Bird. <laughs> that was so annoying in those early days. <laughs> Yeah, this was a this was a pay per view, and my dad was like, "We're gonna watch it" because my dad loved basketball, and I still remember sitting there watching it. Yeah, paper uh pay per view was February twenty eighth of nineteen ninety two. Wow, ninety two. I want to say that's what they're listing at ninety two. So that's like even after the NBA tried it with their All Star game stuff. Yeah, that that's and these guys are they're old, much older. Yeah, ninety two. They're definitely well past retirement age of when they retired from the Trump Taj Mahal in Atlantic City, New Jersey, nine p.m. And it was like they promoted it like a boxing match. Well, you have to, right? Yeah, I would actually. I'd like to kind of do a story on this, so I'm not going to talk too much because I think yeah, I like this idea. Yeah, this might be a future episode. But yeah, that's how my first introduction to Dr. J was. And if I think, you know, a lot of, they're always looking for ways to bring back some excitement for the All-Star weekend for the NBA. And I think if you brought that back, but you had current players do it, you would have way more to it. But also Nobody just like that, play. just like that dunk contest, I don't think any of them would do it because it's a lose-lose for you. Yeah. Like you don't win, like if you, let's just say you lose, then that's all you'll ever hear about. That's it. Despite the fact that you're going against like the best competition there could be. Yeah, I I don't see anybody doing anything. The dunk contest, the three point contest, those things used to mean something, and now the three point contest still does, but the dunk contest is a shell of its former self. Despite the fact that we still have some good ones. But it's all, and I'm, I'm not trying to shade any of the ones who've won recently. But you know, considering we used to have duels between Dominique Wilkins and and Michael Jordan for the dunk contest, you know, we don't get those names anymore in it for sure. No. Okay, my number. Where are we at? Number eight is yeah, or running back, wide receiver of the Baltimore Colts. Uh, I as an NFL fan and NFL history fan if I was born or was alive in the late 50s you know mid 60s the Baltimore Colts would be my favorite team and Lenny Moore would be one of my favorite players uh another one of those guys running back could you know catch ball out of the backfield super fast uh nickname was spats because that's just how he ran he was just an awesome, awesome player. 
And once again, NFL Films just introduced me to these awesome Baltimore Colts. And Lenny Moore was amazing. He used to tape his ankles, but it would be on the outside of his socks and his shoes. So sometimes people imitate that. Uh, I don't think too much anymore, but Lenny Moore was amazing. Game changer. Uh, a lot of people fight me on this. Greatest. Colts running back of all time, even though everybody's like, oh, it's Adrian James. No, it's Lenny Moore. Adrian James is good, but he's no Lenny Moore. Well, I'll just use my incredible breadth of knowledge of football and agree with you. Uh, my next number, uh, number seven, my next one, another legend, of course, of his game, also transited his game to the point where I think in his time he may be considered one of the most Famous people alive. Uh, great candy bar as well, of course. Wow. Can't forget about how great that candy bar is. And the reason that he's on my list is purely out of the fact that The Sandlot is one of the best summer kids movies of all time, in my opinion. And we're going with the great Bambito himself, Babe Ruth, here for number seven. The who? The, what? Oh. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> I thought you said the great Bambi. <laughs> but yeah i mean what a legend uh you know transcended his sport as well uh, i mean literally he's a very fascinating character study too by the way like just uh i don't think i can state just how famous he was for his time period it's ridiculous the level of fame that he had at that time he's got a very interesting story from my understanding his father like just got rid of him and dropped him off at an orphanage yeah <laughs> like take care of this dude and then all of a sudden they found out that he was good at baseball and kind of just snowballed from there as yeah. a Red Sox fan we don't mention that name though so i'm gonna i'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna move on all right <laughs> who's your number seven uh my number seven is known as the dracula in cleats oh and yes Matt and I did an October when I was when we were doing the two point conversation. We did a uh, month of in October. It was Monster Month, so obviously you got to do Dracula and Cleats. Uh, member of the vaunted nineteen seventies Steelers defense, Mister Jack Lambert. This guy, once again, kind of another guy where it was like, "Hey, you're too you're too skinny." You're tall enough, but you're too skinny to play the middle linebacker position. And he said, ha, I may get some teeth knocked out, but I'm going to be a Hall of Famer and four-time Super Bowl champ. And that is what he became. And just the viciousness he played, talking about how he hated quarterbacks. He just wanted to murder quarterbacks, take their heads off. Uh, known for biting people at the bottom of the pile. Oh, that's where the vampire comes from. Yeah. Well, yeah. he also didn't have many teeth, so his two front teeth were gone as well. Oh, uh, and famously couldn't get near any cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he was just not a very good-looking man, but got to say he was definitely uh, – he looked the part and he played the same way. And just – outstanding just ferocious human being out on the field nice nice 
my next one, my number six is we're going back to basketball, of course. And this guy, I remember when I first discovered him and I would go back and look at his stats and be like, these are just made up stats. They're like NBA 2K stats, right? 50 points a game, 30 rebounds a game. One year he decided he was going to lead the league in assists, and he did. Uh, that's Wilt Chamberlain. I got to have Wilt Chamberlain here. And on top of that, uh, we, it doesn't get brought up enough, but number-wise, uh, he he enjoyed the ladies. There, well, I want to say Netflix, there's a documentary on him right now. Oh, really? Well, it makes sense because that's the one that I don't have. But oh, Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain. Did you see that, Andrew, where recently, it wasn't that long ago, somebody took like a highlight reel of his, but they cleaned up and made all of the video look really, really good. That I wish they would, he would like whoever did that needs to do it with other people from bygone eras like that. Cause I would love to see cleaned up footage of these other players that I really like. But like, yeah, man, what, what a, I literally, the only one that could even stop him. Uh, we'll talk about later is what yeah, I want to say. I, yeah. He's, you know, he's on my list. Yeah. He's on my list as well. So, but Wilt Chamberlain and this other guy probably had, they were the Magic and Bird before Magic and Bird, as in a rivalry that sort of labeled the NBA and kind of really helped it, right? Because you have a good, that's really helped sports when you have rivalries like that and people can pick a side. That really does help quite a lot. Yeah. And uh, Wilt Chamberlain legit had a hundred point game for one. That's also. <laughs> I, I can't hate. remember who the I can't remember who the other guy was, but the other guy would always talk about how him and Wilt had the uh in NBA history for the two people to score the most points, and Wilt had a hundred and he had one point because he hit a free. <laughs> That's like uh, Wayne Gretzky and his brother being the all time scoring duo in hockey. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, he's the reason why to this day any if any player uh, in the NBA like has a really good game where they score a lot of points and they hold up, they like to hold up the piece of paper with that number written on it because it's that very famous photo from that hundred point game is Wilt holding up a paper. It just says 100 on it. But yeah, Wilt Chamberlain, if you find, I encourage anyone to look up that video that's been cleaned up and like, it's almost like it's HD. This guy, whoever did it, did a really good job, uh, but you can really get a sense of just the athleticism that this guy had. Super it was athletic. Yeah, especially for his size. I mean, he was huge on top of that. And is that what the lady said? Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I, I still remember that being one of the selling points of a book that came out about him was that it talked about how many ladies he spent time with. Oh. <laughs> There's also a mentor to Kareem. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not mentioning that because I don't want to say anything. Oh, okay. (laughs) So my next one is I'm going baseball for my number six, and I'm going with Stan the Man Musual. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Johnny, other than maybe Allen Iverson and maybe a couple of other guys. I don't like a lot of loud, boisterous players. Right. And I feel like Stan the Man Musual uh was that just a guy that went out did his job and did what he had to do and 
I don't want to. I want to say he's underrated, but he's not underrated in a way. But I, I don't feel like he's talked about as much. And I what, think me and you like those players who are sort of like Tim Duncan, right? Where their trash talking was like they would score thirty on you and grab twenty rebounds, and then like pat you on the behind and say, "Good job." <laughs> that's that's Stan. That's Stan usual yeah. in a way. Like he just. Went out there, twenty four All Star games. You know, he's just a great. He just was a great player, and seemed like a great all around person. Yeah, I'm watching uh, that show called Quarterback on Netflix, and I went in there like, oh, cool, I get to see Patrick Mahomes, and I'm like, ah, not Kirk Cousins. I don't want to see nothing about Kirk Cousins. Finished watching, and I'm like, I hate Patrick Mahomes. I I just don't like his attitude. Just a quick programming note. Uh, It's coming soon, and it'll probably out by the time this episode is out. But if you go listen to the panel discussion, the new episode of it may have a few uh, football players to show up. That's all I'll say. Uh, But, like, then you see Kirk Cousins, and he, like, just seems like he lives in this modest home, and he doesn't have, like, what? And he's just like a good all-around family man. And you see Patrick yeah. Mahomes like talking about how they're building a house with a swim-up bar. And I'm like, I can't relate to that. But I can relate to these lunch pal players like a Stan Musial. And I've always liked Stan Musial. And I actually have a program from 1956 from the St. Louis Cardinals with Mr. Stan Musial's name. Yeah, man, I do. That's the one thing I do love is getting programs those are just uh, a really fun thing and a great name by the way great last name there's a lot you can do with that with headlines <laughs> yeah, i bet they did yeah all right my number five is you know andrew knows this but i'm a sucker for a, a big man in basketball who can pass john sucker for that type of player my favorite type of basketball player i would dare say is that or an undersized power forward those are my, those are my two jams and uh, this guy was probably one of the best passers out of the post. If you were, if you cut to the basket and he had the ball, you were getting the ball. Uh, and on top of that, he could score. He probably had one of the best games ever in a college championship game where he missed one shot and scored over 40 points. And at the, all he's doing all this while he looks like the cross between uh, a hippie and a mountain man. Like he was kind of looked like both. Uh, I'm going with Bill Walton here. Uh, Bill Walton, if it wasn't for injuries, would be considered one of the greatest centers of all time. But injuries sadly really hampered that. But if you go back and watch, uh, there's a really great YouTube video that I found yesterday, and it's all about uh, like this. They ask these questions about goats right and it'll be like uh was such and such the best at this type of thing and it's one about was bill walton the greatest passing big man and it just is just this they're talking about his career and you just see all these scenes of especially during his trailblazer days Mm -hmm. of he'd have the ball and he'd hit every cutter who cut to the basket it didn't matter how little space he had that was the most amazing part of it. Like he could thread that needle like crazy, uh, but yes, yeah, so I've got to, I've got to put Bill Walton here. And on top of that, he's just, 
And today, like, I just never know what he's going to say. And I don't think he does either. And that's what makes him really entertaining. I think Kelly Endo does a great impression of Bill yes. Walton. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Walton is definitely probably top five biggest what ifs in NBA history. Gotta be. Gotta be. Even in 86, he goes out with the Celtics and wins the championship, wins sixth man of the year. And everything else, and not you know, Red Arrow back. He's just such a great guy. You know, he he saw what what Bill Walton had left in there, and that is why to kind of mix it with the modern stuff. Is a lot of people are bagging on Chris Paul. Does he still have it? And if I still feel like if he's coached properly, you could still get a little bit of that Chris Paul magic, kind of like what oh, the yeah. Celtics did in '86 out of Walton. Yeah. Yeah, because Walton was still Walton. Uh, he would show flashes of Walton during that Celtic run. Yeah. Uh, especially that passing, which you're on a team with Larry Bird. So you imagine, like, just imagine oh, that. Just... That's another big what if. What if Walton was purely healthy and he was on that Celtics team with Larry Bird? Just the passing itself would be insane on that team. If Walton was healthy, you wouldn't go after Sam Bowie. Yeah. That'd be very... very much so. Yeah. <laughs> there that changes that. everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Because now you don't have that discussion and or anything else. The Trailblazers are probably not even in that position. Yeah. Man, yeah, you're right. That changes a lot of things. Okay. Uh, My top five going in there. My number five is Marion Motley of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Kind of a two-way player, played running back and linebacker, but this guy was just massive. Just a massive human being, and to see him running, I am not a very dainty person myself. So I saw Mary Motley on NFL Films, and I was like, "This guy is amazing!" And he played in like the forties and the in the fifties, but still, though, the way that his power was and everything else, uh, one of the first black players ever signed to play professional football, and. It, I mean, you could put that you you put that in there, but then everything else, talent wise, and everything else, the guy was absolutely amazing. Helped create one of the standard plays in the NFL today in the in the running back draw by having a mistake as Otto Graham tripped and just handed him the ball. But he was a very significant force in what made those Cleveland Browns teams so great in the '40s and the '50s as well. Nice, nice. All right, so we're really getting into our top five here because my number four, he's a guy who, to this day, has a record that I don't know if it'll ever be topped in his sport. Uh, and Even his look is trademark in a way, sunglasses, a big hat. And... Jim McMahon? <laughs> uh, and a, a little bit of a, a mustache going on. And... His car was iconic. The STP car, one of the most iconic uh, cars. Just the cars throughout his history are iconic. I had his comic book, Andrew, that just went through his career. I used to look up videos of him. He had some, honestly, the fact that he walked away from some of these crashes that he had in those cars is spectacular. Uh, I'm going Richard Patty here with number four. Uh, what an incredible legend. 200 wins. And start car racing, something that I don't know will ever be topped. 
I but by the, he was still racing by the time I got in a NASCAR, but like he was like if he made a top ten, it was an incredible feat at that point. I almost when you said mass mustache, I was about to go. The bandit's not an athlete. <laughs> but if you think about it, doesn't the bandit sort of Yeah have a Richard Petty look? <laughs> yeah, he does. Great movie, by the way. But oh yeah, oh, yeah. Richard yeah. Petty. Before I even got into NASCAR, I knew who Richard Petty was. If I didn't really know who Richard Petty was, I knew that number 43 car. Yeah. Always out there for any type of sponsor or anything like that. Always. Yeah. That, yeah. that red and blue uh, yeah. it was very iconic with that logo on it. And I love that car. And he also, back when NASCAR had those really, this is like 60s and 70s. Had those long Plymouth cars, like really long with the big uh a, a spoiler on the back of it that really st- stood out. Like he's got like a like a light baby blue one of those that, that was really, really famous. That thing is sweet too, by that's the way. A nice car. Yeah. So Richard, Richard Petty is my number four. Definitely a guy that transcended beyond his sport because like yeah. I said, I had no idea. I just knew cars went around in a circle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I mean that's they're you're not too far off. <laughs> but they do it really fast. Let's not forget that. My number four is Deacon Jones. He was a defensive end for the Los Angeles Rams. And here's another, and he's actually famous for terming the, uh, making the term sack actually something big there by saying that he likes to put quarterbacks. Oh. Like put him into a big old bag like a sack and then beat him with a bat. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't like a big sack? You know, <laughs> the bigger the sack, the better. I always say he uh he also kind of transcended the sport. He's done some uh beer commercials, he was on Bewitch, but he was just another one of those guys that was just an awesome player, drafted like in the 13th round. Nobody thought he was going to do anything, but just ended up being a Hall of Famer, part of the fearsome foursome defensive line, uh, developer of the head slap that is now outlawed in the NFL because you can no longer slap people upside the helmet as you're rushing the quarterback. But that's kind of the smart way of doing it is he noticed that if he could smack you upside the head a little bit, you would blink. And by the time your eyes would open, he would hopefully be gone and get the quarterback. And I think (laughs) travesty in, in the NFL is that he is not officially on the all time sack list because sacks did not become an official stat until 1982. He was long gone by then. And I've, said this on the two-point conversation and i agree 100 with dan patrick with all the money the nfl makes you're telling me we can't sit somebody or a group of people in a room and try and find old game film and count how many sacks these players had to kind of yeah that can't be that hard right yeah i i could see tackles where you're like okay we're gonna leave tackles alone but a sack is very defined right supposedly he's got up there 173, which would put him, I think, third or fourth if you actually count him, but there is no official count. But I don't understand why you can't just kind of go back. And yeah. And it kind of... When I you, guarantee you somebody has, and they are they just don't do anything with it. Yeah. And it kind of... uh, You know, it, 
it hurts these guys in a way, and I've noticed. Well, it's all about legacy, right? Yeah, and it it hurts them in a way because there's no measurable stats, and it seems like everybody today wants. You gotta have a measurable stat. You gotta have a measurable yeah. stat, or you gotta have some type of advanced stat that. Or no if you have all the stats and no championship, that's another stat you have to have, or you're nothing. That's just a ridiculous thing. I'm with you. The one thing that really stood out to me was the little tricks he would do. From what you were saying, that's yeah. I really love those things that these people would do. Like one of the big ones that Tim Duncan would do. Sorry, I'm on a Duncan train. I was just I got no, on. A, I love Tim Duncan. I got on a Tim Duncan rabbit hole the other day. But he would do this thing where when he was guarding you and you went up to shoot, he would kind of put his one of his arms on your shoulder. Only so slightly so you couldn't get all the way up, and then he would block you because you can't get all your lift. See, it's just little little <laughs> yeah. things like that. So here's a quote from Lou Pinella as we talk. I'm glad you go this way because Matt and I have a problem. A lot of people and I wouldn't come to this statistics is not very good so Lou Pinello once said statistics are like bikinis they show you a lot but not everything which is I like that I think that's fair I, I think that's fair I'll, I'll use statistics too but if you're going if you're going by stats though like like you're just discounting so many people's careers who are vital to their teams mm-hmm. I vital. Robert Ori literally has like some of the most championships ever and it's because he did a lot of the little things and he would hit a big shot. I but if you looked at his stats, you were like, oh, why is this guy, why is he not even thinking yeah. about him in the Hall of Fame? I get into a lot of arguments where people are like, yeah, but how come this isn't that? Or how come they didn't get more of this part? And I'm like, well, that wasn't their job on the team. Right. Yeah. It, it I mean, it's, you know, when job. one of my biggest issues with the Miami Heat when they had the Heatles, as they called them, you know, it was LeBron and Wade and Bosch, was that Bosch doesn't get the love that I feel he deserves in that situation. He goes there, and he knows immediately that he's he's coming from being, like, the lead main player on his team to immediately being the third player on a team, immediately. And does he complain about it or publicly? No. He accepts it, and he's there, and he's one of the main reasons why they win a championship, but I guarantee you when people talk about the Heatles, he's rarely ever brought up. No, because he didn't score that many points or you can't yeah. look at it. That's why it's good to go back and watch older games and everything. I'm really glad that Matt was like, hey, did you know you can watch old football games on TV and stuff like on YouTube? And I was like, yeah. So I would go back, be bored, you know, nothing to really do, and I'd go back and I'd watch games. I watched the Super Bowl from 1972 because I wanted, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see Super Bowl 19, and I watched it, and I was like, "Wow, the Dolphins really sucked in that Super Bowl." Now I understand what's going on, and but to go back and to you're watch, talking to a like, you're talking to a guy who literally watched, I think it was almost it was an hour and a half of just the Joker doing passes. <laughs> so. But that's that's the stuff that I think you gotta like you talked about the Will Chamberlain thing. You, yeah. you gotta see it. You gotta see it. Like right. the the conversation I had at work, like I said the other day, was you know, Clyde Drexler was a better trailblazer than Dame Lillard. And I told dude, it was like, Have you ever watched Clyde? And he's like, No. And I was like, at one point this guy was compared to Michael Jordan. This was like the 
He's the reason that the Trailblazers didn't get Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm like. Watch Clyde Drexler play and you'll understand. But definitely go out and watch these older people play before you before you make your decision on things. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people bag on Bo Jackson. Uh, Where are we at? Is it me? I, no, it's uh, you just did your, did your number four. Yes, that's right. So I'm on my number three and uh, arguably one of the greatest shots in basketball is this guy's shot. A champion everywhere. Uh, just a pure champion. He really. Oh, so you're not talking about Jerry West. Then. No, 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 no. I do like Jerry West, but no. Uh, it's a shame that when we talk about goats of basketball, that he's not brought up more. Uh, I think it's kind of a travesty because people, because he's, that's one of the things too about uh, just humanity in general is we're most certainly on a, a recency biasness, whether we admit it or not. That's why I'm glad we're doing this list. But on top of that, this guy, uh, he could fly airplanes. Andrew, he fought Bruce Lee. That's how good this guy was. I'm, of course, talking about the master play, of the sky, sky did himself. Play, did he play Dr. J one-on-one? <laughs> he played Dr. J one-on-one. And we're talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, a legend on and off the court. Just some of the stories about him uh, is are just legendary, too. What a man. That skyhook is something that I don't think until like people probably hear about it, mm-hmm. but it's another one of those things where you just got to see it to be like, whoa, nobody could touch that thing. In fact, one of the biggest things that Bill Walton ever did was he blocked a skyhook once. <laughs> and it's brought up because that's how big of a deal that is. That's a huge deal. Yeah. So I got to go Kareem here, another legend of that transcended his sport. Yeah. Yeah, he also, because of his ability, he also got the dunk out loud in basketball or in college basketball for many right. years. Yeah, many years. They're like, you are too good. They, oh yeah, he was on that freshman team that beat the net. I think they were a national championship team, and they ended up beating the the varsity for UCLA as well because that's how good he was. That's when he was back when he was Lou. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. He was Lou Al. He was Lou then. All right. My number three is another NBA center. I'm pretty sure you can't guess who this is. Uh, <laughs> number six, the rival to Wilt, Mr. Bill Russell. I'm going to go ahead and say he's my number two. So, okay. So we could just, we can have a good conversation right now. Uh, yeah. I watched, I knew about him. Uh, like I said, my dad was a huge basketball fan, so he told me about the rivalry between Wilt and Bill. Uh, then I watched Sports Center, or not Sport Sports Century on him, and then you learn what kind of man he was, and it kind of elevated it to a little bit more where he would come up with things where he didn't want to sign autographs. He would rather sit down with you and you know talk to you for five minutes because he felt that would be more and. We talk it, about, and it is honestly it, it is uh the only thing we, we were just talking about stats bill doesn't have the greatest stats in the world but you know what bill has he's got an wins. awful lot of <laughs> yeah wins and rings where you were talking about defense before he's a huge candidate to show you how important defense is 
Uh, I mean, he was he is considered and should be another one of the goats, and it's almost purely because of his defensive. And he could still score; he just didn't feel the need to do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he played, I and mean, his teams were really good teams too. And he was still the main player. You know what I discovered recently? You know who the first player ever to have his own actual basketball shoe was? Was it Bill Russell? No, it was a guy he played with though, the Coos. Oh, Bob Coos, well, of course. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, um, Hardwood Houdini. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that's another guy, by the way. That gets overlooked when he was doing oh. some flashy passes before people realized it. Because it's everyday passes now. I think yeah. that's the problem is that a lot of everyday stuff now are wasn't I mean, every wasn't the norm back then. So when these guys are like, "Oh, well, I can watch that guy do that now." Yeah, kind of like when yeah, I but it just them. but I think people just don't put the emphasis on the historical aspect of it of how yeah much they're changing the game. Like, it's no big deal to see a player hit seven threes in a game now. But, like, before Steph Curry came in and started doing that, like, people were like, oh, wow, because, you know, uh, nobody was really doing that before. It was mm-hmm. just making the three such a main part of the oh, game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, literally hitting it from wherever he was, you know. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, Bill Russell, uh, another one of these athletes that when he passed recently, like, it really bummed me out. And yeah. it's not just because of the player he was, but because who he was off the court as well. Mm-hmm. Just really, truly stood up for his beliefs. He fought against what he felt was injustice. Uh, he was one of those who didn't just, quote unquote, talk that talk. He most certainly walked that walk. And I don't care who you are, like how you, uh, some of my favorite stories that, uh, that, um, Oh god, what's his name? Bill. Um, he does those podcasts we like blanking right now. Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons would talk about was Simmons again a, a giant Celtics mark. Oh yeah. He, but he got to listening to him. <laughs> yeah, but he got to have like he tells these great stories about when he got to meet and talk to Bill Russell, right? Uh it, it's just this gravitas that he would bring to things too. It's man, how you couldn't look at the career of Bill Russell and not have respect for him would be beyond me. And I'm I'm glad LeBron's dropping the number six. Me too. I like that too. That's a real that's a class. Uh, whatever you think of LeBron, that's a very classy move. That is. Uh to put into perspective on how much of a winner this man was, uh throughout his junior year in high school, all the way through his NBA career, he won eleven NBA championships, two NCAA championships and a gold medal. If you think about that, just in NBA championships, he has over a decade's worth. <laughs> yes. And he, there's only two years, his whole entire NBA career. He did not win a championship. That they, is, that is ridiculous. <laughs> that, and, and he was honestly the missing piece. And he bought into a guy that bought into a team effort Another guy that would be majorly so uh, to the, I would dare say he should be the poster boy for that. And on top of that was one of the greatest player coaches of all time. Yes. First black head coach in the NBA. Right. All back, man. He was, he had some ballsy moves back in the day that almost got him because he also drafted the first black player as well. But Bill Russell is just outstanding. No matter what it is it's just he is the ultimate when it comes to goat 
wins and just team player, it, you got to go with Bill Russell because he he sacrificed everything that he could. Didn't he knew yep. his role on the team? And I think that's what a lot of players are losing sometimes today is knowing your another another thing. Up. A lot of players don't have today that he had was that when he was one of those people who the air about him uh, and just how he carried himself, that when he talked, I was going to listen. Yes. No, I, I mean, it could have been about anything. And I would be like, I got to hear what this guy's going to say. I want to know his feelings and thoughts on whatever it is he's going to talk about. He was, I read a book. It was like the, he had like 11 tips of like leadership. Yeah. And I never understood this and I read it. I read it when I was younger, but uh there's a difference between hearing and listening and the way that he explained it in the book was absolutely like just beautiful. And the way that talking about leadership where you cannot coach everybody the exact same way. And he learned, right. you know, he learned some of these things from Iroh back as well. And just, to, yeah, you can't lead everybody the same way. No. It, it's way it's leadership is a lot about understanding people. And how people uh, react and act upon different situations. That's what leadership is. It's way more about, hey, I know, uh, I know that this guy reacts better if I kind of get on to him. Yeah. But this other guy, if I get on to him, he'll kind of recl- he'll he'll kind of go into his shell. So I can't do that with him, right? I got to use a different tactic. That's the type of thing that leadership is. But you might as well go ahead and do your number two since Russell was yeah. my number two. My number two is the splendid splinter, Mr. Ted Williams. Got a little thing for Boston teams going on. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> but that's a great nickname, by the way. The splendid splinter? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. He was. Uh... And a great dad of some four turtles. <laughs> <laughs> he was a very unique person. But this is the guy. This He lost three years of his major league baseball career because of military service. Like he fought in world war two. He was in Korea, but other than that, this guy diagnosed the science of hitting another great kind of what if, because he lost three seasons, Uh last player to hit 400 in a major league in a major league season as well. Uh, hitting four Oh six. Or I'm, oh, 407. Oh, that was in 37 games, though. But he hit 406, which is amazing if you can hit anywhere in the 400s. But he, just a great player. I wish he could have won a championship. A badass from the sounds of it. Oh, he he was like the John Wayne of baseball. Yeah. He was, one of the quotes that people have heard him say is, I'm Teddy fucking ball game, and you can take it or leave it. (laughs) <laughs> okay yeah he, that's one of the things like if you're mad at that that's one of the things that michael jordan gets praised for as he would say stuff like that yeah and that's pretty much the way that ted williams was like he took flack but you gotta remember the time he took flack because his wife was giving birth to a baby and he was out fishing but different times different eras in a way we gotta look at the times but just tremendous hitter to the point where uh, Tony Gwynn, who probably is the one of the greatest modern day hitters, just sat around this guy and just absorbed knowledge. And Tony Gwynn was an amazing, amazing hitter. 
But yeah, he sat there and just absor- absorbed knowledge from Ted Williams. Uh, just an overall great player. Only made it to one World Series. They lost to actually, I believe, Stan Usual's Cardinals. But just hearing about Ted Williams, seeing what he sacrificed and everything else and listening about the player, you, I just love Ted Williams, especially as a Red Sox fan. It makes it it makes it a little bit easier for me to enjoy Mr. Ted Williams. So that's my yes. two. All right, so we're on our number ones. If you've noticed on my list, I haven't had a uh, pro wrestler yet, and that's because I saved Andre the Giant for my number one. I, you know what? I wish I would have, now that I think about that. Yeah, uh, obviously I love pro wrestling, and when I got into it as a kid, it was it was basically when Andre was getting out. Yeah, you know he was he was the eighties were a very hard time for him physically already. His body was already starting to uh, give up on him because he was just so large and he didn't. He actually, I mean, he had that. What's that called? He had, I don't remember what the Acro thing is. Megaly. Yeah, basically, your body keeps growing past what it can is the the gist of it. Uh, I always think about what if he would have been born just a decade later, like just how, like if he was in his prime in the eighties when he's going against Hogan, just how awesome that would be. Right. That would have been so incredible, but he comes up and he becomes huge, uh, but figuratively and, and in fame wise in a time where pro wrestling was territorial, meaning that it was kind of divided by areas Mm-hmm. Sort of in a way, it wasn't. In other words, if a wrestling match was happening in California, then us on the East Coast would probably never know anything about it. Is that's the gist of it? And but Andre was such a big name already, and he had become an attraction even up in Canada. That wherever he would go, they would sell out, and he was such a big attraction that he didn't even need to be a champion in most of these places because they were going to. It didn't matter. He didn't need that. You would go see, you could sell a whole show in effect. Hey, Andre is going to be here. Andre. And if you go back and watch old matches with Andre and not just the the early 80s WWF stuff, you will see just how, yeah, he's a big guy, but good God, could he go? Oh, man. What? I mean, despite his size, the, the, the things he could do in that ring. But it's also these legendary stories about him out of the ring. That are just so incredible. Just the legendary drinking stories that wrestlers would tell. The legendary stories about him like burping and farting. You know, those type of things are really funny. Uh, Just how, like, even when he was doing The Princess Bride, those stories are legendary. Uh, You know, uh, it's just what an incredible person who he's, when I think of athletes that I, I'm really sad that I truly missed out on. He's got to be at the top of my list He's for sure. I would have loved if, uh, if he had been in his peak when he was going against Hogan, just those for as historic as that WrestleMania Hogan and Andre match was just imagine if it had taken place and Andre could actually do stuff like his old self. Just imagine how amazing that match would have been instead of because now it's way more known for if you go back and watch that match, the match itself, you can tell that Andre 
could only do certain things now. He couldn't do everything he used to. There, Hogan uh, gets a lot of flack. Most of it deserved, but he's he is definitely in this match working with what he has, right? WrestleMania six, I want to say that was one of his last ones with yeah. Haku and their the colossal whatever. And yeah, uh, if you notice in a lot of his later matches in the eighties, he stays near the ropes because he has to, he has to 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 help himself. Uh, but man, what what an incredible athlete! I highly encourage you to go find old video of him wrestling when he's in, at his peak. I think I brought it up before, but there's a really good uh, documentary about him. I think it's on HBO. If I'm thinking right, uh, it's really really good. Uh, even though they do leave out some stuff, but I mean that's any documentary. Yeah, uh, it's just what an incredible. Attra- I mean, just he was more than an athlete; he was an attraction. Mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, like you'd be like, oh, he was one of those names where you're like, hey, what are we doing on Saturday? We're going to go see Andre the Giant. Yeah, you know that type of thing. He was, he was kind of the Nintendo of video games. You know where. Uh, I still remember at a point when I was growing up and I was grew up in the video games, right? And I'd always get annoyed when like an older relative would be like, Hey, you playing that Nintendo? And it was a Sega Genesis. But it was just because they called anything video games a Nintendo. Yeah. That was like Andre was synonymous with wrestling. It was that we're gonna go see Andre. One of the greatest things that they did do though is is they let him go out as a as a baby face. After yeah, he did that yeah. heel turn, and then when his very, very like last match, they let him go out. As a yeah, big- I'm really glad they did that. Uh, but there's just some heartbreaking things too about his body winding up, and just the stories that, uh, like, just him flying on a plane was just difficult because of his size. Man, just what a what a life. Would he if he? If he was wrestling in today's era, would he? I don't know if he'd be that big, not to take anything away from him, but we see giants now all the time. That's but what I'm saying. If he would have been in his peak in the 80s, I think yeah. it would have been perfect. Yeah. Now it's sad to say because everybody's like, you know, like, oh, look at the giant. Look at the giant. Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're, because a lot of people also forget too, like Paul White, right? He came in as the giant because they're originally going to be like he was like Andre. Yeah, son or something like that. But early Paul White stuff, this dude was like 400 pounds, like 6'10, 6'11, well, big guy doing legit drop kicks. Like this guy could go as well. So um, people forget that too. My number one is another Baltimore Colt. <laughs> uh, it, it's Johnny Unitas, the golden arm. Uh, pretty much what you would picture today as your perfect quarterback. That's what Johnny Unitas was back in fifties, sixties, and part of the early seventies before he kind of fizzled out. Uh, he was, he was that guy. He was that guy that you were not out of a game as long as you had him as your quarterback. Uh, and he, Played in an era where you there was no flak jacket. So when you threw that ball, if you got hit, your ribs were probably not feeling too good after that. But he did everything he had to do to win. Probably hung around a little bit too much longer than what he should have. But the black high tops, uh, 
quarterbacked in the greatest game, what they quote as the greatest game ever played. And like I said, just the absolute 100% gold standard at quarterback before Joe Montana, before Tom Brady, before anybody else, pretty much this was the man, Johnny Unitas. He was, I and once again, because you look at his stats because of the era that he played in, not beautiful, but just when you watch him play, you watch him play with the grit and everything else and the composure, it's absolutely amazing. Plus, two, he also made it on The Simpsons at one point. That's a big deal, honestly. Yeah, have you you've seen probably definitely seen that when Homer, when uh, Homer's mom left Abe. Yes, he's yeah. watching Super Bowl three, and he's like, and he sees Namath, and he's like, "Oh, go cut your hair, hippie!" And then Johnny Unitas takes off his helmet, and he's got that flat top, and he's like, "Now that's a haircut you could set." Yeah, I remember this? Yeah. So yeah. that's that's Johnny Unitas, but Johnny <laughs> Unitas was just an amazing person, and he meant everything to that Baltimore community as well. I don't think he called Stanley. I don't think he really does anything with the Ind- or did anything with the Indianapolis Colts because he was just such a Baltimore guy. Yeah. And of course, famously to me, uh, your son called me that one time and I didn't know football, so I wasn't sure if he's insulting me or no, not. No, Johnny United. But in fact, it was a huge compliment. So golden arm. <laughs> yeah. The golden arm, Johnny Unitas. Uh, well, we did it, Andrew. There are our top 10 athletes before our time. What are some of your favorite ones? Maybe we didn't get the mention here. Uh, go to our Facebook page and, and let us know uh, who are some athletes that you love that were before your time yes and uh make sure you check us out on wherever you get your podcast and with that being said have a wonderful day